Hello and welcome to the Rigori Podcast, the show that's as popular as Romelu Lukaku at an inter-supporters club dinner. I'm Giancarlo Rinaldi, back after a tough summer drinking spritz and munching macaroni in the Tuscan hills, and I'm joined as always by my cousin and co-compere, the Lion of Venice, Marco. Marco, how was your summer? It was spent in much the same way as yours, as... as Avid followers of our Twitter feed will know we, we, we our paths did cross in those Tuscan mountains for a bit. They did indeed, they did indeed like this sort of the rare juxtaposition of two planets, our, our paths crossed <laughs> and there, there may have been alcohol consumed there may at, have been. at some point, but also deep research into Italian football so that we can give people the best quality Always. Italian football podcast on the on the market. So we're, we're back with the bank. It's been a busy old summer in the Italian football scene and, and nowhere more so, I think, than with the bombshell of Roberto Mancini's departure from the, the Nazionale. I mean, first of all, Marco, did you expect that? And what, what do you make of it? No, I didn't expect it. Not at this time. I, I do feel, I did feel that there was a, you know, he obviously wasn't ever really that sure that he should have hung on after after failing to qualify for the World Cup, and then Viali died, and that obviously affected him as well. And you did get sort of get the impression that he was having thoughts about why have I signed up for another another four years of this? But um, it is a shock, particularly because he had just been given all these powers um, to oversee all sort of stages of the Azzurri from the under nineteens, under twenties, etc. Um, and there'd been shuffling about of his staff, although it turns out that that, at least according to what Mancini's saying in public, is is one of the reasons that he went. Yeah, no, that I, I found that intriguing as well. That it, it seemed like, in a way, it was a classic Italian. The way things appeared were not as they actually were, or at least that's how he's portrayed it. That it did look like he'd been given extensive powers, but actually perhaps they weren't quite as extensive as, as they looked. It seemed that some of the appointments were not quite his choosing, or certainly not how he would have done them. And then they sort of parachuted in Gigi Buffon, which I don't think he had much to say about at all. And so that, you know, again, it's a classic sort of machinations of the Italian Federation that, you know, on the one hand that they say, oh yeah, you can have whatever you want, you're our man, but on the other hand, they were kind of manoeuvring behind them, so, but whatever the reasons, I mean, they were quite quick to suggest that he already had this lucrative offer in place to coach the Saudi Arabian national team although there, there hasn't been any movement on that, and I mean who could blame him if the figures being touted were anything like um, what was being suggested then you, you could hardly blame him but it'd be interesting to see I mean this will all come out in the wash I dare see just what the order of events was but long story short it's left us with Luciano Spalletti in charge and I mean that too in a typical piece of Italian politics had to go through a bit of jiggery-pokery um, to actually get him into the job but I mean a good appointment Marco do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think of the of the sort of available candidates. Obviously, the serious candidates were him and Conte. Um, there were other candidates like Cannavaro and De Rossi, who, you know, I'm glad that we didn't go down that route. But um, yeah, given what he's achieved with Napoli last season, given the sort of um, positive football that his teams play, and that 
he plays the sort of football that Mancini was trying to get Italy playing as well in the same sort of style and stuff. I think I think he is the best appointment right now. Um, I'm sure he'll bring his own uh, approach to it and, and we'll get some surprises in terms of players and systems, etc. But um, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I, I, I do want to pay tribute to Mancini, though, because I do feel that lots of people focused on the fact that he failed to qualify for the World Cup. Um, and, you know, he wasn't calling up certain players or things like this. That There seemed to be a lot of negativity around him towards the end, which is another reason I think he might have had enough of it. But he won us the Euros in, when no one thought we were going to do it. And not only that, he won us the Euros with us playing some of the best football we've ever played. We we went on that run. we now the record holders of, of unbeaten an unbeaten run, for what that's worth. And... I do think that he brought back, um, you know, a lot of pride in in the Azzurri, and I don't think that should be overshadowed by the fact that yes, he did mess up the World Cup qualification, and he was probably, as many managers are, too loyal to the to the old boys, and that's probably what what cost him in the end. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of people kind of. I think it's typical when somebody leaves a job, uh, they diminish what they've achieved, and they diminish what he's achieved with Italy, and also there was a lot of people kind of looking down on what he achieved prior to that and saying, well, you know, he, I mean, he, he, well, his first trophy was actually with Fiorentina in the Coppa Italia, but it was kind of, he just parachuted into that uh, and only won a couple of games to win that cup. And then obviously at Inter, there was the whole background of Juve being weakened and having, you know, far and away the best resources, Man City, the same. But you've still got to win these things, you know, regardless of, uh, you know, regardless of how, privileged a position you might be in and in a way isn't that being quite astute as a manager anyway but what you say is the bottom line is that there with Italy he didn't have he couldn't go out and buy any international he had to make do with what he had and I think anybody that watched the documentary of the the run to the final would see I mean obviously a bit of televisual artifice but he looked like an absolute genius in that programme because everything he predicted yeah. seemed to come true you know so he did know his football he does know his football I'm sure he'll be back in a good job somewhere and I'm sure he'll probably be winning things so you know and, and that night to beat England at Wembley for a Scottish Italian that's unforgettable exactly and, you know, we'll live on that he'll live on that in our memories for forever but anyway that that was the that was the summer's events but we're back now just after Juventus um, issuing a cuffing to Udinese very comprehensive victory I was had my eyes over that one and you know it was certainly Juve tackled some of the issues that they had last season looked more enterprising went ahead early on with Chiesa got our I mean, I, I wouldn't probably have given it as a penalty, but now I think handball, if it hits your hand anywhere, that's a penalty. Well, I have got, something to say about that later, but anyway. Got, got Vlaovic on the score sheet, and then Rabiot completed. Third goal was a beauty, lovely team move, and Udinese swept aside. Udinese last season were off to a great start this season. Um, not so much so far. The, the, probably the biggest result of the weekend was really was the other game, which didn't see so much of. But you know, Lecce toppling Lazio. Maybe, maybe um, Sarri's going to concentrate on Europe this season and he's ditching <laughs> the Scudetto. I, I, I don't know, but certainly a bad result for them and a great result for Lecce. Always destined to fight, I think, um, against against relegation, Lecce. But that was certainly that sent a signal, and you know. The, 
Immobile scoring for Lazio wasn't enough. I also saw earlier in the day, amazingly, two goals for Ivgallo Bellotti yes. for uh-huh. Roma as well. You know, you wait 12 months for a league goal and then two come along in the in the space of a game. So maybe Luciano Spalletti will be having a well, look at him. I hope not. <laughs> no, I hope not too. And I mean, the other thing I was going to say was I'm just glad that uh, Francesco Totti has long since retired now, know. That, now that Spalletti's taking over given the, given the nature of of their relationship, but I mean, what 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 results, what performances stood out for you in Serie A at the weekend, Marco? Well, is is this the setup for me to say Fiorentina? I... This is fishing. This is a fishing <laughs> exercise. I've thrown in, you know. I've I should have gone through the... every other game. And then <laughs> yeah, you should have done. Fiorentina. You should have done really, but you know, no, it was just looking it, at the score lines. It, it was it was the Fiorentina. I mean. With respect to Genoa, they are newly promoted, so um, you know you could. It was always going to be difficult for them in any game to start the season, but it looked like a pretty dominant performance in what was quite a hostile arena. Genoa have sold a lot of season tickets this season. I think they're are they maybe only third or fourth in the league in terms of selling season tickets. So they've got a good support there and. They played. I saw the cup. The Retegui scored some good goals there, and I thought they might. I still think that they could be a bit of a surprise package in Serie A this season, but they were clearly outclassed by your boys. They were. I mean, that I think you're right. I think generally invested a bit in players. That doesn't, you know, they don't become a team overnight. They were far and away one of the best teams in Serie B. But you know you've, that's still a big step up. And but what surprised me was the the quality of the all round performance by Fiorentina. I mean, there will be much tougher tests to come. But I mean, I did see on Twitter, you know, who are these imposters in Fiorentina shirts? Because not only did they win, they didn't throw it away. You know, there was every uh, opportunity to do a Fiorentina and and blunder and throw it all away. But they just kept going. They were pretty relentless. Name check for a youngster playing it right back, yeah. Michael Coyote, who, you know, people getting carried away and, and already kind of, you know, putting him into the national team or whatever. But he was a standout with the under 19 set up yeah. at, the, at the World Cup, you know, so he was, he's, he's, Clearly a talent. I think he was discarded by Juventus as a as a boy, but he's now come to Fiorentina and he stepped in. Dodo wasn't quite fully fit or not there, and he had a great game marauding up that that right wing and you know an, an attacking threat and very composed in defence. And that was really reassuring. And what also was reassuring was the performance of Arthur and the midfielder Arthur, however you want to pronounce it. But um, you know, I would my reservations about that signing but certainly in that game where he wasn't put under a lot of pressure to be fair he really made Fiorentina tick he was picking out a lot of passes and and a word also for the you know the poor man's Declan Rice eh, Giacomo Bonaventura who produced I mean a goal and an assist that was absolutely out of this world you know I just I wish he was for Italy's sake, I wish he was a few years younger because, you know, he really is evergreen. You know, Milan, I think, dumped him quite early and he's maybe he's not up to Milan standards, I don't know, but he's certainly up to Fiorentina standards and he was a he was a standout performer in that game. And 
with, with all the provisos that we just put in <laughs> to not get too carried away. It was certainly it was a happy it was a happy start for a Fiorentina fan. Um, you know, given that it could have been a testing trip, I, I think Genoa will get better. Um, as they start to kind of integrate the players that they've got. But it was pleasing for Fiorentina, who have, you know, been pretty busy in the transfer market themselves, that the, the new faces seem to slot in pretty well. And, you know, they, other than one slip-up at the back where they conceded a goal, they, they did look to have addressed some of their defensive issues as well. So, you know, encouraging encouraging signs, if, 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 early, if early signs. And, I mean, just to return the favour... Marco, big results in Serie B, obviously, um, Cosenza winning yes. resoundingly, but but also um, Venezia, um, you know, battering one of the more moneyed teams of Serie B, Como got a big high profile, but it, it appears as if the Lagunari for now are, are carrying on the kind of good form that they ended last season and start kicking off this campaign. I mean, I didn't see the game, but was it as was it as convincing as the scoreline suggests? Surprisingly, yes. Um, no, it was. It was a really good, dominant performance. Looked really threatening all game. Really should have scored a couple more at least. Um, and you know, players like Dennis Johnson, Nicholas Pierini, who have been maligned on this podcast and elsewhere. Um, for not living up to the potential that they have. That was probably the best game that I've seen Johnson have. He, he seems to have, you know, it's one game, so who knows, but he, he, he seemed to have better decision-making. His control was much better, and he, he set up two of the goals. He nearly set up an absolute beauty for Poe and Palo as well. Um, and we've kept Poe and Palo thus far, and we hope it continues to the end of the month. Um, and he scored. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was it was a overall... A, Really impressive performance. There were a couple. Como did have a couple of chances on the break. Um, Joronen had to pull off a great save, and against a a team that maybe had better finishers, we might have, you know, struggled a bit. Like Como, Joronen made a save when it was two 0 and we all know that with Venezia, if they if they let in a goal uh, when they're two two nil up or something like that then there's a good chance that they could collapse at that point but no it it looks to me like Vanoli's worked with what is largely the same team that he had last season and he's got he knows now more about the players that he's got at his disposal and where they can play and where he can get the best out of them so yeah I'm I'm genuinely quite hopeful which I know is against the grain for this podcast but I am hopeful about this season uh, based not only on that performance also the performance in the cup as well we got knocked out on penalties but it doesn't really matter the, there is just a, a consistency of performance there that I think is yeah gives good reason for hope for the season to come and I mean this, this Serie B season kicks off in typical Italian chaotic circumstances where we don't even know who all the teams taking part are. Um, but but I mean, well, two things: how how quickly is that likely to be resolved? But also, you know, who do you see as the main? Assuming that Venezia can keep up this run of form and be as good as you hope, who are the other main contenders, do you reckon, for for promotion? Well, it's a difficult one. Like, I think Parma will be up there again this season. but um, And you would have to think that Spezia and Samp probably, although Samp have their financial issues going on and stuff, but you would think they would be 
sort of the main teams that that are going to be up there and and challenging. But and then you've got the teams that have done well over the past few seasons: Pisa, um, Sud Tirol, Bari. You know, are, are are these are these teams going to be able to do what they did last season as well? Maybe. So it's it's early to say, but as we know from last season, there's no there's, there's no easy games in Serie B. You know, it, you can go in a run of three defeats and find yourself in the relegation zone and then win two games and you're back in the, the promotion playoffs. So, it, yeah, it, but not for us. I think we'll go on and win every single game and, and <laughs> get promoted. Do you think Do you think we should have a, should we have a, some kind of alarm or klaxon for every time we see there's no easy games? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Should, you yeah. know, that sort of... A a drinking game pod. for those listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, the Rigori pod. The Rigori pod cliche alarm, if we ever, if we ever say that. But it's always a competitive division, regardless of who ends up actually... In it, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these appeals and counter appeals yeah. still ongoing. As I say, there were a number of fixtures weren't played this weekend because we still don't know the entire makeup. Um, I mean, and and the background to that is just it's so chaotic. I mean, that's two things really. That one that you don't know what teams are in it, and then two what you alluded to earlier, Puyan Palo, and, and you know all teams. Fiorentina have their Amrabat as well. You know that that players that because the transfer window's still open. While the season's underway, I, just, I, I saw a couple of managers moaning about this, and I, I mean, I think they're quite right to do so because how can you build a team if you know? As I said, I mean, in the end, Fiorentina, I think, are just assuming that Amrabat yeah. will go somewhere. Although you know, the the valuations dropped from eighty million during the World Cup to twenty million to you know, will someone take him? You know, it's 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 quite a it's quite a plummet. But you know that does um you know does that affect Serie B that, that both the the confusion with the teams taking part and the and the kind of window still being open and you could still lose your best player. Well, I think I think it has to. Um... It'll affect every team, but yeah, there's the added complication, as you say, about what the even the makeup of the league is. But although I think on a team level, that probably isn't as important. It's more the the transfer window being open. I mean, Poyan Palo, it sounds so he's got a clause in his contract that teams can come and buy him for quite cheap. But I, th- I think they have to pay it all at once, which is what I think has put a lot of teams off because nowadays people like to sort of pay in instalments and things like that so and he seems to want to stay Vanoli wants him to stay so I think the club would like to keep him but then they also bought Christian I'm not sure even how you say his name Gitker or something like that from Monza who to me looks to be a similar player to Poyan Palo um, they say they can play together but I'm not absolutely convinced about that and I, I do wonder if they sort of bought him with the expectation that Poyan Palo is going to go, but I certainly hope not because he is the captain of the club now, um, and uh, yeah, he, he given what he did last season, even given what he did tonight, he would be invaluable for us. I think if he, if we can hang on to. I thought you were going to see the special clause in his contract that there had to be a brewery within well, yeah, exactly. two hundred yards of the ground. The move yet. <laughs> you know, until until Heineken or Carlsberg FC come in, I think you're I think you're safe because he likes a wee beer. Oh. So I, I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast the handball. You made the comment about oh, the handball. Yes, yes. So yes. at the end of the first half, there was a, a beautiful move by Venezia that resulted in it was actually Puyan Palo hit a shot. The goalkeeper got low down, pushed it across, and Candela went to kick the ball. He sort of got to the ball, 
and then went to shoot. And the ma- the defender had fallen over by this point, and his hand l- was literally on the ground blocking the ball. And the ref didn't give a penalty. VAR did not give a penalty. And, I, you know, I couldn't think of a clearer case other than the thing, do they say because he's fallen over, his arm's in a natural position or something like that. I, 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 yeah, I, I've seen a few like that where, as I say, well, tonight's one for Juventus, the defender's arm was... He turned his back on the ball, which is always a mistake, mm. and, and and then turning his back, his arm was out from his body and the ball hit. I, I just hate these ones where the ball's kind of battered against an arm. But it's curious that that seems to be more of a get-out clause if you're lying on the ground, mm-hmm. even if your arm's kind of spread eagle, as long as you don't, kind of make a deliberate act like the old handball really yeah. as long as it's not a deliberate kind of grabbing of the ball they seem to let you more away with that as if you know you have to put your arm down to to break your fall or whatever and and the arms in that position but there is no there is no consistency i think that could, probably could be another a podcast cliche alarm on that one because well, I, I think we'll, we'll have the we'll have the handball penalty debate. I think will will continue to rage. I also for the I also wanted season. to get that in on the podcast because it wouldn't be the podcast without me moaning about the refereeing. So <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. These are our, our USP, exactly. and since it's been far too happy exactly. an episode, we need to get some of the old some of the old gripes in. Just to to wind things up for the for our comeback special, I, I wanted to say a wee bit about um, Carlo Mazzoni, the great um, manager who sadly passed away recently, aged eighty six. Just one of the great figures of Italian football. Not a great winner, mm. you know. I, I was looking there at his trophy hall as such, and I think it constituted the Anglo Italian League Cup with Fiorentina in nineteen seventy five, and then the Intertoto Cup. With Bologna, so not a lot of not a lot of trophies there, but nearly eight hundred games as a as a manager, and just a great one of these great characters, and sort of almost a, a, a bygone era. I mean, do you have memory? You're younger than I am, Marco. Do you have memories of Mazzoni as a manager? Well, first of all, he, he's one of these people that always looked eighty six. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> true. Yeah, he did. I mean, a, a bald head will do that to you, though. <laughs> but. Um, uh, I mean, the the most famous memory is the one that you've been seeing posted all over social media is where he ran when he was manager of Brescia and the Atalanta fans were insulting him and he he ran and started insulting them when they they got the last-minute equaliser. But he seemed to be a player that, you know, top-class players really took to. Um, He he sort of looked like an old-school manager in many ways. He was a sort of old-school manager, but, you know, Baggio has nothing but great things. I saw Guardiola's tribute to him, uh, Totti as well. You know, it, it, players that um, are sort of the standout players of their team seem to th- think that he was a great manager despite never winning anything. Yeah. yeah, I think he was. I mean, he was an innovator. Let's say that he's widely credited, or some to be, but you know, with the Pirlo dropping Pirlo, yeah, back exactly, yeah, yeah, to to become that kind of quarterback, and then as you see, Baggio, you know, Totti brought through even Giancarlo Antonioni was a relatively young player when when he was in charge at Fiorentina, and he seemed. He was that sort of father figure, or or laterally maybe even a non no figure <laughs> to the to the players, you know, and that was a really special. I, I read one little anecdote about him, which I thought was was quite 
brilliant, quite typical. And when he was in charge at Roma, um, he had a player called Amadeo Carboni that played fullback, who liked to get forward. And uh, he was off on a charging run against uh, somebody. And uh, Mazzoni says to him, oh, Amadeo, but you know, how many games have you played in Serie A? And he said, about 350, boss. And he said, and how many goals have you scored? And he said, four. And he says, well, get your arse back in defence <laughs> then and don't bother running. What the hell are you doing running up the pitch? So I just thought that was such a... You know, I think he was a guy that didn't... He didn't Whilst he was passionate about it, he didn't take it too seriously. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, you know, maybe what we, we miss most now sometimes. It's all about the trophies. It's all about winning. And, you know, and for some people, that is what it's all about. But it's not It's not the Rigori podcast. No. We, we are certainly not about trophies and not about <laughs> winning anything, despite our teams having won this week. So, you know, Mazzoni was definitely uno di noi in, in that sense, that he seemed to take things. He liked a, he liked a good laugh. And I saw even... After he got, I think after he made that run, the famous run to the um, Atalanta fans, he was sent off, and he sort of shrugged his shoulders to Colina and said, "Yeah, I deserved it." So I think you know, I'd earned it kind of thing. So a great guy, and you know, forty years, best part of forty years, a real institution of Italian football, and be 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 sorely missed. But um, you know, just a, a a great, great, a great, great guy. Anyway, that's that's us back, um, back in the old routine, and uh, hopefully you've enjoyed our return and been looking forward to it all summer as we have. Um, if you have, please share, please like, please let people know because that's you know that's what makes it worthwhile. Although we'll still carry on talking nonsense even if you don't, but <laughs> it'd be great if you it'd be great if you would, and we'll be back again next week with with more nonsense to come. Yes, speak to you then. <laughs>